Let that be a reason not to come. Six o'clock in that auditorium. We'll continue our study on Tuesday night again next week. Also, there's a table in the back if you want to sign up to do LeapFrog, which was a great announcement by Michael if you're interested in that. You can text the number on the sheet or you can actually sign up tonight in the table uh, in the back. Uh, if this is your first time to RUF, I want to welcome you. We're really glad you're here. As we always say, whether you're struggling with doubt or whether you've never been better spiritually, um, you're welcome in this place. We want this to be a safe place where you can come and be yourself uh, and be loved and appreciated uh, for who you are. Uh, and we hope that you come and you hear the good news of the gospel uh, in this place. Also know that we want to get to know you. There's way more to my job than Wednesday nights, 8.30 here. Same thing with Graham and Caroline, our staff. Please come introduce yourself. If you have things that you want to talk about, um, please let us know. We'd love to get together with you. If you have your Bible, turn to Revelation 3 if you're not already there. You can look on with a friend or on the announcement sheet in front of you. This semester, we're going through the book of Revelation. And what we have been learning is that far from being a book that just ramps up our confusion, ramps up our fear and anxiety, the book of Revelation is actually meant to be a book that blesses us. How do we know? Well, remember the first three verses? John says this book is meant to be a blessing to you, not a burden to you. We learned that week one. And how does John bless us through the book of Revelation? Well, by telling us week after week after week that things are not as they seem in the world. And what John does, and we're going to see this every week, is he's going to pull back the curtain on the spiritual world the world behind this world that is happening right now as we speak, that is just as real as the world that we can see and smell and hear and touch, and he's going to show us that world, and as he does, the hope is that it would give us strength and courage to live tomorrow as we get out of bed and go to our classes here at Ole Miss. Tonight we come to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which is a very unique section in the book of Revelation. It's the section where he writes the seven letters. Jesus writes these letters through John to seven churches, seven local churches. Numbers are a big deal in Revelation. The number seven means completeness. In Jesus writing to seven churches, this is what he is saying. He's writing to the complete people of God. In other words, he's writing to you and to me tonight as we sit here in Parish H Chapel. So this letter is for us. And tonight we're going to look at one letter, the letter to the church at Laodicea and there's seven letters. We could spend one week on each letter. That would take the rest of the semester. We're not going to do that. We're going to look at this letter and let it be representative of all of the letters. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and don't know what you think about Christianity, as always, welcome. 
We're really glad you're here. We want this to be a place where you can come with your questions and feel safe. But I want to warn you on the front end is that tonight, this message is geared more towards Christians. Why? Because the letter is written to Christians. But I want to encourage you to listen in tonight because here's what you're going to find. Jesus is going to show you the thing that repulses him. And if you're honest and you're an outsider to Christianity tonight, I would guess that it's probably the same thing that repulses you about Christians as well. Tonight, the topic is lukewarmness. And what we're going to see through this passage, we're going to look at three things. If you have an outline, you'll see that before you. The problem, the reason, and the remedy of lukewarmness. Let's look at number one, the problem. Look at verses 15 and 16. Why in the world does Jesus come this strongly in his rebuke to this church? And when you hear how strong that passage was as it was read, and as you look at it, your first thought is like, man, this church must have, man, it must be the most heinous sin that is happening inside this community. And then Jesus tells us that his problem is that they are lukewarm. And what's interesting, it, you read the verse and it says that neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's way more vivid than that. Because Greek is the original language of the New Testament. And that word, spit, literally means, and the translation doesn't do it justice, literally means vomit. And so think about how powerful that image is. Not, not hot nor cold, but lukewarm. And I will vomit you out of my mouth is what Jesus is saying. And so the question before us then becomes, what does it mean to be lukewarm? Well, most of us, if you grew up in the South and grew up around a church, we have often thought that this passage means something like this. This is often the way I thought of it because it's the way I was taught this passage to mean that Jesus doesn't want you to be, you know, be just all in or nothing at all. But whatever you do, don't be in the middle. Don't be apathetic. Don't be lukewarm. Be all in or be nothing, but just don't be in the middle. But is that really what it means to be lukewarm? Is that really what this passage is saying? Remember, we do not pull passages out of context and interpret them. But every passage has a context. And that verse has a context here, doesn't it? And the context actually helps us. Here's what we learn. Laodicea was a trade town. And six miles to the north of Laodicea was a city called Heropolis. And Heropolis was known for its hot springs. Keep in mind, they didn't have hot water heaters back in that day. And so when it was cool and cold, people would go to Heropolis for hot water. And for a hot bath. And so the hot springs were soothing. They were refreshing to them. They were comforting and they were healing. Ten miles to the east, 
was a church called, or a city called Colossae. And Colossae was known for its cool or cold water springs. And those springs would flow out of the mountains and people would drink the cold and refreshing water from the stream. Laodicea was right smack in the middle and it had neither. Instead, Laodicea had warm, lukewarm river water, which was dirty and muddy and nauseous and often undrinkable. And people that were passing by that did not know that would get a drink of the water and they would spit it out of their mouth. And so what's the point? Well, the point is that the Laodiceans would not have taken cold water as negative and hot water as being positive, as often we interpret it. They would have ter- interpreted this as cold water and hot water both have their intended purposes and, are, and both often serve good purposes among the people. They would equate it lukewarm with their own water, which was what? Useless, awful. It didn't serve its intended purposes. In other words, it wasn't refreshing. It was not comforting. It was not restorative. It was not healing. And so you see what Jesus is saying, don't you? Jesus is coming to them and he's coming to us and he's saying, You're my people. And yet, people that interact with you are not comforted. They're not refreshed from being around you, and they're not restored, and they're not healed. Another way of saying it is Jesus says you're smug. And because you're smug, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. There's an addiction recovering ministry in Memphis called Love in Action. And there's a pastor that I know that was invited several times by the director to come and to just kind of sit in the back and observe a therapy session at this ministry. Finally, after several invitations, he comes and he's sitting in the back. And as he walks in, there's a man in the front, much like I am, and he's sharing his sin with these people in in the crowd. And, And my pastor friend noticed that as he shared his sin, that hands would pop up in the crowd and they would stay up. And he's totally confused, thinking, is this guy ever going to address the questions? It's getting awkward, like, what's going on? This is getting rude. And finally, the man goes deeper into his sin and into his struggle. And the hands keep going up, one after another. And all the hands are raised by the end. And when it's completely over, the director of the ministry goes up to the pastor And he says, what'd you think? Wasn't that great? And he goes, no. I don't understand. All these people are raising their hands and this guy's totally ignoring all of them. What is going on? And the director said, no, no, you don't understand. You see, at Love in Action, we have a rule that when you confess your sin, you never struggle alone. And so if you've ever thought it or done it, you raise your hand and you keep it up so that we can let the guy sharing know 
that he is not struggling alone. And then you know what he says? Listen to this. The director says, oh, that our churches, and let me add ministries, would be a place like that. Think about that for a second. If you were struggling, if you are struggling with sin or an addiction tonight, wouldn't you want to be there? Absolutely we would want to be there. Why? Because it would be healing. It would be refreshing and it would be a place of rest for us and a place of comfort for us. Why? Because we would be in a place where it's okay not to be okay. Jesus in this passage says, I have come into the world to give rest and refreshment to people that are weary and broken and have been burned and broken by sin. Because that is who I am. And if my people judge in shame and heap on more burden then I will, it makes me want to vomit and spit them out of my mouth because my people are supposed to be a people that go outside these doors onto this campus and bring life and rest and refreshment and comfort and hope to the people around them. That's what Jesus is saying. And friends, one of the surest signs that you are becoming a refreshing person or that we're becoming a refreshing community is that we start to raise our hands and say, me too. And so here's my question. How do people feel around you? And if you don't know, maybe you should ask someone close to you who loves you and who will tell you the truth and be gentle how you come across and how you make people feel when you're in their presence. Do people feel refreshed by you or do they feel that they must get their act together and be on their best behavior because if they're not, you're going to crush them and judge them and look down upon them. When people are around you, are they free not to be okay? Or do they feel beat up? That's the first point. The problem of lukewarmness. Secondly, the reason. <clears throat> Why is Laodicea not refreshing? Well, simply put, they're not refreshing because they don't need anything. Look at verses 15 through 18, and I know this is a strong passage, and so somebody said this is going to be hard, and I was like, yes, it's tough, but I'm trying to just be faithful to this passage. Look at verses 15 through 18. That's the good thing about preaching right through the Bible is it makes you deal with passages that you normally don't want to deal with, so that's, that's where we are tonight. Um, 
But look at verses 15 through 18. And then there's a scholar, New Testament scholar by the name of Colin Hamer. And he did lots of research on the seven letters. And here's what he found. And remember, like, he says that Jesus is not taking these images and pulling them out of a vacuum. But he's speaking very specifically, location specific, to a group of people. And here's what he found. Look at, look at verses 15 through 18 and see if this doesn't give us some background and make, help us make sense of what Jesus is saying. One of the things this scholar found was that Laodicea was wealthy. In fact, they were so rich that when a, an earthquake went through that region and destroyed many cities around them, them being one of them, they're the only city in that region that did not want or ask for financial help from Rome. And after that, the city slogan became this, I need nothing. Secondly, he found out that clothing was a really big deal, that the Laodiceans were the best dressed people in that region because they had a wool that they would make into clothes and ship it to people that were all over the known world. Thirdly, they had a medical school, verse 18, and the guy that founded it was known, known for his research on the eye. In fact, he developed an eye salve that helped restore and heal many people's eyes in that region. Think about that background. Look at verses 15 through 18. And what do you feel now? Jesus is eye to eye with them. He's nose to nose with this church. And he gets very, very personal because he comes and he says, you think you're rich, but you're actually poor. And yes, you're the best dressed people in your area, but you're naked. And yes, you've got this eye salve and you've helped a lot of people, but you're blind. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, your biggest problem is that you don't realize those things about yourself. You don't realize that you're naked, poor, and blind. John Stott says to be lukewarm is to be blind to your own condition. There's a former campus minister at Vanderbilt University named Brian Habig. He was there years ago. Uh, with RUF, and he tells this story about a guy that was in his ministry as he was going through, and he said this guy had everything going for him. He had the looks, he was charming, he was funny, he was well-liked, well-mannered, people loved him, he had the gift of gab, in other words, he could talk to anybody, he was so relational and so good with his words. The kind of guy, he says, that if you're a father, you want to take this guy home, and this is who you want your daughter to marry. And as he got to know this student, he realized uh, that this student, had, guy had had something very significant in his life happen when he was a teenager. He said, he'd never forget it. He said, an older man pulled him aside and said, you have so much going for you. You're so bright. You're so handsome. You're so connected. You're so well-mannered. 
You're so good with your words. But what makes me nervous is that you have some real strikes against you. And those strikes are that you're so handsome, so good with your words, so good with people, and so bright and smart. And you see what, you see what he's saying, don't you? The thing in our lives that oftentimes we think is our greatest asset might just be the liability. What he's saying is oftentimes the thing that we like most about ourselves is actually the thing that is our biggest problem. Now why? Well, think about it. Because it's the thing that undermines humility. It's the thing that causes us to stiff arm God and Jesus and say, I got this. And leads to self-sufficiency and pride. Because that is the thing, the things that we like most about ourselves. Those are the things that cause us, not, not that we would say this outwardly, vocally, but in our hearts to say, I need nothing. It's the thing in our lives that causes us not to put others above ourselves and keeps us from being dependent on God alone. And those are the things that mask the fact that really more than anything, what we most need is an undeserving grace of God. And so the question is, what are you most proud of? What is the thing in your life that you're smug about? What's the thing in your life that if Jesus were to write you a letter and confront you, what are some of the things that he might say? Maybe it's the fact that you think you're fine and you're proud because you've got social charisma. And on Saturday afternoon, you're going to be able to walk through the grove and you're going to be able to walk in and out of every tent in there. And people are going to instantly love you and you're going to instantly be able to get them to win. And you're going to be able to instantly win them over and you will be the life of the party. Or is it maybe your wealth? Maybe you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. Maybe you know that you're always going to have a nice car to drive and you're always going to have money in your bank account and you're always going to be able to take the trip, road trip with your friends no matter what. Or maybe it's the letters on your shirt. You see, friends, all of us have things. Me too. Things that we look to, good things that we look to other than Jesus to make us feel okay and make us feel right. What is it for you? And don't make the mistake here in this passage that lots of people have done over the years in interpreting this passage in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is not saying that you are lukewarm. This is important. Jesus is not saying that you are lukewarm if you are sinning. 
Jesus is saying that you are lukewarm if you think you're not sinning. In other words, lukewarm, Jesus is not going after disobedience. He's going after self-righteousness. And if you look through the Bible, it's the thing that disgusts him the most. And the Laodiceans, you see, they thought they were okay, but they had blind spots and they couldn't see themselves clearly. Friends, all of us tonight should ask God and beg God because this is what humility is and this is what it means to be a Christian. We should say, God, show me my blind spots. Help me to see the things in my life that I cannot see. Better yet, give me a good friend who will love me enough because you know no one's objective about themselves, right? We either give ourselves way too much credit or we're way too hard on ourselves. And so we need a friend from the outside to look into our life and help us see what we cannot see. Do you have that? And are you willing to ask God for that? Thirdly, we've seen the problem, the reason, and the remedy. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I, count, I counsel you to buy gold. Okay, think about that just a second. If you've been paying attention, that should be really confusing to you. You're counseling me to buy gold. You just told me I was poor. How am I going to buy gold? Yes. That's it. Jesus says, I will have to give you a currency called grace. That you cannot earn. And I will give you this currency and you can come to me and you can buy and be satisfied in your life. It actually comes from Isaiah 55. Come, buy and eat, you who have no money. And here's what, so here it is. Jesus is saying tonight, you're broke? Come. And I'll make you rich. Not the way you think of money, but I will make you rich because I will satisfy you forever. You're naked? Jesus says, come. And let me put a robe of righteousness on you that will cover all of your shame. You're blind. Jesus says, come, and I will actually give you eyes to really, really see and live. And look at what this grace leads to, verse 19. It leads to repentance. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. What is repentance? Very clearly, repentance means to turn from the things you're most proud of and the things you're most ashamed of to Jesus and beg for mercy. Look at this word discipline. Notice discipline always takes place in the context of love. We are loved because we are his and we are disciplined because we are loved. Let me say that again. That's important as you think about Christianity. We are loved because we're his and you're disciplined because you're loved. Look at verse 20. It's my favorite part of the whole passage. 
it would seem, think about this with me, it would seem that in this most severe letter that Jesus is not going to be gracious, that Jesus is going to drop the hammer on these people. That's the way it seems. But remember, we're learning this semester that things are not as they seem. And we see that in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He stands at the door and knocks. And this is not an evangelistic, evangelistic tool. It has its roots in Song of Songs 5, verse 2. And you can look that up later. Song of Songs 5, verse 2. And here's the picture. So think about Jesus knocking on the door. And it has its roots in the Song of Songs and the picture is this, the one of a groom knocking on the door of his bride, saying, honey, I love you. Come out. Come out and let's continue our relationship together. It's a renewal ceremony of a husband and his wife, and he's knocking at the door saying, come to me because I love you. Many of you this past weekend got to meet my daughter, Elizabeth. She is seven. And this summer, she has this good friend in the neighborhood named Macy. And her and Macy played together for countless hours this summer. But on one particular day this summer, Elizabeth had a friend from school over. And so they're playing and Macy comes up to the door and knocks on the door and says, Hey, Elizabeth, I want to play with you. And Elizabeth looks at her and says, I need a break from you. <laughs> That's not refreshing, by the way. We're talking about what it means to be refreshing to people. She says, I'm going to play with just my friend. Well, you can imagine Macy's obviously pretty, pretty dejected by that. But we've got other girls in our home. And so she played with Ann Wright, who is our five-year-old. And later on in the afternoon, Elizabeth and my wife Susie takes Elizabeth and her takes her friend back home. Elizabeth rides with her. And all of a sudden, I walk out to the back porch, and there is Macy on our back screen porch, Macy and my daughter Ann Wright, and it is a war zone. I mean, there are flower petals everywhere, there are cups of water everywhere. There are rocks scattered everywhere. And in the middle of the glass table on our back porch, it spells in rocks the letter E. And I say, what in the world is happening? And they, Macy says, listen, you come out. We're going to practice. We're throwing a surprise party for Elizabeth, and we want to practice on you. And so I walk back out, and they, surprise! And so then it was game time. Fifteen minutes later, Elizabeth shows up. They pull in the garage in our van, and they walk out. And I say, I'm the one that's supposed to get her to walk outside, you know. And so I say, Elizabeth, go to the back porch. And Elizabeth walks out to the back porch. And Macy and Ann Wright pop out from behind the chairs and say, surprise! And they have a tea party. And they have the greatest time ever. Well, it was the end of the day, and I hear Elizabeth upstairs crying. 
And then all of a sudden, Elizabeth starts walking down the steps, and she's still crying. And I say, Elizabeth, what's wrong? What happened? And she says, it's the tea party. And I say, what, what happened at the tea party? She says, no, I loved it. <laughs> she said, I thought it was the greatest thing because they made me feel so special. And the whole time she's holding this rock that they've given her as a gift in her hand very tightly. <laughs> and she's weeping. What's going on in that moment? Macy showed my daughter the gospel. Macy showed my daughter a glimpse of the way Jesus loves her and it melted her. Friends, that's it. She treated her friend poorly. And yet her friend threw a party for her. And it changed her and softened her. That's the answer to lukewarmness. Friends, this is the good news of Christianity. Jesus is standing at the door of lukewarm people like me who love their possessions more than they do Him. Who love their pleasure more than they do Him. Who love the letters on their shirt more than they do Him. Who love their comfort more than they do Him. And here's the kicker. As He stands at the door... It's not as arms crossed, foot tapping, waiting to scold you and lecture you. Remember the passage, Song of Songs 5-2? Jesus is standing at the door of the lukewarm people like you and like me. And he's saying, like a husband would say to a wife, come out. Let's renew our relationship Let's continue our relationship. Why? Because Jesus wants to be with you. Because he loves you. And because you belong to him. I don't know about you. But that is the most incredible news in the world. And that's why it's called the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father. Would you help us? We need your spirit to come.